0: What's going on everybody, welcome back to another special episode of Coast to Coast. It uh, was Rivalries Week in the NBA this weekend, and on Saturday night we had three really good matchups, and we are going to be discussing them right now. Joining me as always, Christian Nambu. Thanks so much everyone for making this your first listen for NBA coverage. This is a sign of things to come. We watched all the games last night, and now we're going to be reviewing them. Another way that we are expanding our horizons of NBA coverage. So make sure to leave a comment, like, subscribe, wherever you're getting your podcasts, and uh, let us know what you think. So, Chris, let's open up. First game of the night. Denver 76ers. What did you think?
1: Dude, that was was a matchup everyone was waiting for, and that absolutely delivered. Um, I know that you're definitely a happy guy because – I know you've been a little bit more on Jokic's side this year, but Embiid's always been your guy. He just put in a masterful performance. He's got to be the first person we talk about. Joel Embiid, first half, somehow quietly just had like a 20 and 10 first half and then capped it off nearly scoring 50 and just dominating down the stretch. How did you feel he made his case for the MVP this season, or at least just to be a starter on the Eastern Conference All-Star team? I mean, putting up a performance like that. And oh yeah,
0: really, I mean that was a that was a complete slap in the face to to not being a not being a starter. He's going up against the guy who's in the lead race for MVP. You could tell he had that chip on his shoulder. First half, he very quietly went about his 19 points and then the second half he just completely took over, 28 points Hitting threes, absolutely dominating Nikola Jokic inside Jokic because no could not deal with him at all. Not that anyone in the in the league really can in in the paint, but he showed all of his best qualities and he showed that his scoring ability and his rebounding ability can go toe to toe with the with the best in the entire league.
1: Yeah, and I think we the, the way that I I frame this game after watching it is how the 76ers responded. Because I think, I mean, the first half, the Nuggets just looked like they were going to run away with it. Um, It was, they had almost was a 13-point lead, 72 points. And they were getting every look they wanted. Jamal Murray was getting to his spots whenever he wanted to. Jokic was posting up and getting people open as he wanted to. Aaron Gordon looks great. And he had a great game throughout the whole game. I think the 76ers did a good job to neutralize him. But I think first half to second half, the 76ers really did well to, respond and make adjustments especially how they were choosing to cover Jokic and for a team that we're always getting on for Doc Rivers not making a lot of, of changes and them folding under pressure I think they responded in a big highlight night where the whole country is watching everybody's watching Jokic and Embiid and it wasn't just Embiid who showed up the team really showed up to play and um, I don't know who you want to start with but I thought this was a great all-around team game from the 76ers, not just a testament to Embiid's MVP uh, race this year.
0: Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this game. I think the adjustments that the 76ers made defensively in the second half compared to the first, Denver had <clears> 73 <throat> points in the first half. They were getting every look that they wanted. It felt like they went on a run where they were just scoring off every single play unless they made a mistake themselves. Then in the second half, they made the adjustments. They put Tucker onto Jokic. They had him be covering, covering on the rotations. They had him covering in the paint to trying to, to neutralize Gordon that little bit more. They got the doubles. There was a few times where Jokic was uh, was posting up and the 76ers came in and got steals. That wasn't happening in the first half. And then they hold them to 46 points in the second half. That's a big change between the two quarters. They didn't score more than 30 points in either the third or the fourth quarter. And that allowed Philadelphia to to eat into that fifteen point lead and ultimately get the W.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that um, that that coverage that that was a little thing. They they pushed Embiid out onto Gordon um, and Gordon, who was working the baseline like crazy off ball. Embiid just hung out in the darker spot, did not let Gordon get that cut. And as soon as Yok stepped into the paint, I mean, he was there to defend. As soon as jokic was posting, trying to get a cutter and Bede was there they effectively cut off any off ball cuts to the rim and they cut off gordon's number one weapon uh playing off ball which is cutting back door and that's has been one of uh jokic's biggest weapons uh as he's posting on the mid post and tucker i mean dude this guy is <laughs> he's just a brick wall i i that's one of the, like the little fun things to watch in the nba is is uh especially in the positionless league that we're in a guy like pj tucker who is barely 6'5? I don't know if he's actually 6'5, but this guy posting up on uh defending Jokic on the block, and just unbelievable. He gave him a tough time. Jokic could not comfortably get down low every time. I mean, he had him a few, a few times, but um you saw a couple of plays where Tobias Harris was able to sneak up and uh and strip the ball, and other players were able to make him pick up his dribble. I think that the team defense overall was able to make him uncomfortable. He had seven turnovers in this game. Um and in a game where after the first half you're expecting him to come out with a, a massive triple double and just look as dominant. They really muted Jokic's playmaking in the second half, and that never happens. Like that rarely ever happens. What what was it 15 games this year where uh, Jokic gets a triple double and they win? Which first of all, 15 triple doubles, then 15 and 0 on that. That's that's pretty unbelievable. So they they stopped him in a game where it really mattered. And hats off to to Doc Rivers. That was a good adjustment. And hats off to PJ Tucker and their whole team for staying strong. And we just quickly mentioned Harris. Tobias Harris. He's uh, we'll, we'll give him. We're not gonna give him his flowers. Let I me. Mean, we'll give him a flower after going scoreless in the first half. He really stepped up in the second.
0: Yeah, that was a big that was a big change in the in the game offensively for for Philadelphia. I mean, obviously he has zero points at the half. It, it looks pretty bad, especially when. Four or five uh, Denver starters were in double digits, but then he he stepped up with some big shots. He made some big plays inside. He hit a couple of big threes. And that that was a, a key component of, of, of Philly getting this win. It wasn't just all Joel Embiid. Harris really stepped up with some big shots. Obviously Harden didn't take too many shots last night. He was more feeding the ball. He had his 13 assists, but it's still a fairly efficient shooting night for him. But they they're gonna need the, the the trio firing on all cylinders, like 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 in the second half last night, if they're going to really chase down the the Celtics and make that push mm-hmm. and, and be in the best uh, the best position possible going into playoff time. But I love the uh, I love what Embiid said in the interview after. You can tell it's on his mind. He he's just saying he's happy just. Contributing to his team's winning, he wasn't worrying about being MVP, uh, an All Star starter. He wasn't worrying about MVP, just contributing to winning. And then he just says, "I want to be healthy. I don't want any surprise injuries come playoff time. I feel like I have yeah. a big run in me. I don't want any injuries. That's that's what he. That's that's his mentality. You know, he's got that chip on his shoulder. Yeah, he's hearing what what people are saying. He knows that he can be the guy in on the biggest stage. He showed it last night. Now the next step is." shown it in the playoffs and hopefully we get to see that this year.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, you touched on uh James Harden scoring the second half. I, I think, you know, getting away from all the positives we're talking about the 76ers and there was, especially in the second half. Um and staying with Mb just talking about the fact that he went 10 of 14 in the second half to respond to a pretty inefficient first half. Harden though, I think that's the only takeaway from this where you know, that's that's the next step is consistent production from your stars when it matters. And when Joel Embiid scoring 28 points in the second half and, and Tobias Harris goes six of seven to score 14 points and you get Niang going three or four, just in crazy moments. Yeah. I mean, Niang scoring at the end with like less than a second left and just completely broken play where the nuggets are reading, regaining momentum. And then he just pulls them back. He he had some really key threes in this game with only nine points in the second half. Those were every single one of those points felt way bigger than they were, mm-hmm. but Harden only three points. Five attempts. He won one for five over three attempts. And, and the Nuggets, you know, they were completely okay to put whoever on an island with him, whether it was Zeke Najee, whether it was Jamal Murray. Uh very happy with Gordon. I mean Gordon. Um, well, we'll get to the Nuggets in a little bit, but Gordon's defense on any every, everybody was just unbelievable. Um, but you got to see more from Harden in a playoff situation you know, especially in the Eastern Conference, if you're facing this, if this is just about the Celtics, like we talked about last pod, um, can they rely on Harden to just to do more, to do more? Um, he didn't look confident in, in getting through shots in situations where, you know, I, I think you don't want him to necessarily step away from being a primary playmaker. You got to talk about the fact he had seven assists in that second half as well. So it's not just about the scoring, but he's got to be aggressive too. If, teams are just going to dare him to shoot because they were doubling Embiid and there were times where it felt like the game was going to slip away because they couldn't get any good shots out of uh, Embiid posting up. And that's where you expect Harden to counter that. Harden's supposed to go one-on-one and you got to double somebody, but that's not the dynamic that they've created here. But as a team, they got the win without Harden's uh, scoring.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, and what what about Denver then? What did, what did you think about their performance i think obviously it's a negative they 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 couldn't pick up what would have been a a big win a big statement win but i really enjoyed what i saw from Aaron gordon his constant movement on both ends of the floor especially we saw it in the first half in the defensive end it made it made a really really big impact it forced the, the 76ers to be very quite quite inefficient and you see it on offense too he's just always moving so jokic he can find anyone on on the court at any time, and with the way the way Gordon moves, he's gonna get a lot of easy looks. The way he can cut, he's gonna get a lot of easy looks, and just the way that he's improved his own game. When the ball's in his hands, he's capable of of making a move and and and, and taking a shot inside.
1: Yeah, that was that was a big thing uh, for for Gordon and for Murray is that. Um... But you didn't see the difference between these two teams. In the first half, all they did really is is run through, pick and roll through and beat and harden and run through uh, and beat on post-ups. And the Nuggets had answers for that. And defensively, uh, it was was by committee. Everyone was doing their job there, especially uh, Gordon. Um, But I think to have Gordon as a playmaker, to have Jamal Murray as a playmaker, to have both those guys put the ball in their hands, even when Jokic is on the court, there's just so much more you have to worry about. And especially the the sets that they run for for Jokic, you think the ball's getting to him as he's coming off a handoff and then it's going to someone else. So he's screening. He's such a good screener. Um, and everyone knows how to screen off each other on this team. They have such good chemistry. So to be able to put the ball in Gordon's hands and have Jamal Murray and uh, uh, Nikola Jokic running sets off each other and then Aaron Gordon just decides to take it himself, like that just gives you so many options. And I think that's such an under um, underrated part of his game is you can put the ball in his hands and he can attack a switch. So if, if they're trying to preserve whoever's defending Jamal Murray, whoever, whoever's defending Jokic and he gets a smaller guy, like he is such a strong guy in the paint. He's able to get whatever he wants. And I think credit to him. I, if we're basing Andrew Wiggins, all-star status last year on a, on a rising team, on the best team in the West and playing that kind of role i think aaron gordon deserves that same sort of recognition like not to say we want to continue that precedent necessarily but i think the the hype is at least deserved and aaron gordon has played a a massive role in so many different ways for this team not just as as a rebounder or it's just a defender like he's been everything that this team has needed from him besides that
0: yeah, and let's hope maybe he can continue just for this year, so we get to see uh, some Aaron Gordon in in the dunk contest as well. I mean, that's oh, what yeah. I said. Put me in the oh, All Star yeah. game, I'll do the dunk contest. Oh yeah, so, I think we, <laughs> I think we'll all be uh, we'd all be happy to see that uh, on Murray. I think it was especially in the first half, it was great to see him getting to his spots and making his shots, and just looking really comfortable out there. And then in the third, without playing without Jokic, you, you saw him. Be able to take the lead, and that second unit looked so much better than it was last year. It wasn't just oh god, what are we gonna do now that Jokic isn't on the floor? Murray, Murray was there. Were you a little bit concerned when he when he seemed to be yeah. pulling up, and it was at the end of the third, start of the fourth, and they left him out there? You kind of you have to assume that it wasn't anything too bad that they wouldn't have taken him out because obviously they wanted they want they need they know they need to protect him, but. You hope that they were they they would play that smart and they would have taken him out if it was anything too major.
1: Yeah, that tweak. We'll see. Like, um, I didn't see if they talked about it afterwards, but he stayed out there and he definitely looked a lot less aggressive. And that was, I think, that was another another key to this is that you know he wasn't attacking as aggressively. Um, and that that's what it, that's a huge thing, man. When you're injured and you get those little tweaks, you're not going to be as confident getting to the rim. And being as explosive. And he wasn't, he wasn't breaking down the defense like he was in the first half after he tweaked his knee like that. But I think that also credit 76's defense. I mean, cutting off those lanes and cutting off the paint entirely. So it was it was a combination of those two. But uh another guy who kind of disappeared, and you know, maybe he just didn't get enough looks because in the fourth quarter, Michael Porter Jr. had zero points. He only took one shot from three. And he only got in really at the end of the game, played six minutes in the fourth, the whole game. I mean, he was on fire, seven, 11, five for nine from three, 20 points. Um, I mean, honestly, didn't, didn't do a whole lot uh, outside of that, but I mean, that's his job just, just to shoot. And when you weren't getting a whole lot from Jokic in the post, you weren't getting a whole lot from putting the ball in Murray's hands. It would have been nice to have that option and bend the defense a little bit because you're not bending the defense from from getting in the paint in the 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 fourth there. So why not just try and try and see what you can do with Porter? Because I mean, he was really – I mean, it looked like he was – it was just shooting practice out there. Like no one was really bothering his shot. He was confidently getting there. And when a shooter like that's getting in a roll, just like keep going with it. So it, it was tough to see him just end with 20 points in three quarters and not contribute in the fourth when they really, really needed him. But I, I thought he had a good game up until that point point, not getting –
0: yeah, yeah, uh-huh. for sure. It almost felt like he kind of vanished it for the entire second half. I know he actually got eight points in the in the third quarter, but it was the way that he was playing, and and it, it each three pointer just seemed so smooth and it's so in your face when he got those ones in the first half. And then I remember he pulled up for that that um, that three Easy pointer floater. in the fourth quarter, oh, no, yeah. the one in the fourth quarter, and I was kind of thinking. Oh shit! Is he? He's he's still yeah, playing yeah. here? I kind of I had almost forgotten. Especially when when Murray was was kind of slowing down that little bit. You think surely get MPG MP, MPJ in this game and get him some shots. He's he's got the hot hand tonight. Why why would you not do that when Jokic isn't at his all elite best? Murray's kind of slowing down that little bit. MPJ has got to be the the third option there, especially with the the form he was playing with in that game.
1: Yeah and that and they really dried up from 3 after that too. I mean that that first half um uh, they, they were 10 of 17 three. 3 second half 4 of 17. Um big difference for them. They were stretching out the floor and I think this is a, a testament to that the 76ers have a lot more they have a lot more to to offer here. Um and apologies my my internet is it's wacky here. My internet's not, not used to recording on a Sunday morning. You know, it's, it's an easy <laughs> Sunday morning. Um, one last guy I want to shout out, though, but before we move on from this game, Zeke um, Najee. You know, we we have not talked about him at all. Um, he's not done anything crazy this year. But a really skilled big uh, for the Nuggets, especially with DeAndre Jordan just not looking like a real player anymore. You think that the center position is a very big, important uh, position of need for the Nuggets, have some depth there he played really well and I, I, I want to give him a shout out because like a, a guy who is going to face up against Embiid and 76ers he showed a lot of guts playing in the post against Embiid for a long stretch on uh, the first half and that was a part of the uh part of a bench squad that really frustrated Embiid and forced him to to make some ugly turnovers and just forced the 76ers offense to, to not look good and Najee switching out into the perimeter playing in the drop against Embiid, playing in the post against Embiid, and then looking skillful as hitting shots from outside and moving the ball well. Like, he's he's a good player. He, he's a young guy that I, he's, he's getting confident. I think he's a guy that um, Nuggets fans will appreciate this. But I, I think he's he's, uh, he's a solid big off the bench, and I hopefully they keep him. Hopefully he continues to develop there because I see him being a impactful player in the playoffs for them if this is how he plays against 76ers and Embiid
0: yeah 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 for sure so uh, final word on that then the 76ers they picked up the statement when did they did they make you believe a little a little a little bit more a little bit more
1: oh yeah yeah and i i especially coming back from such a abysmal first half not even abysmal for like they played fine in the first half but to be put in a hole like that by the nuggets like you just assume the nuggets are just going to keep rolling but they responded in a huge way and they did it with room for improvement. They did it with room for improvement from Harden. So I believe in that, and I think I believe too. in, in narratives and M- uh, MVP conversations are on narratives. And I know it's one game, and I'm st- I still would objectively vote for Jokic, but to see the matchup between them, I think that you know when you look at dominance, when you look at narratives, when you look at storylines, MVP really made an important note here. Hey, I just went toe to toe. I went one on one, and look, look at the outcome. And I,
0: and I, and I freaking dominated. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a uh, let's, let's move on to the the poor old Nets and Knicks. Uh, I guess we have to we have <laughs> to talk a bit on them. The, Sorry, a disappointing one for the Knicks, mainly because obviously just the Nets were not at full strength, and they just went off the charts from, from three, 22 three-pointers, shooting 55% as a team. <laughs> Kyrie Irving's playmaking throughout the whole game was very impressive. The unselfishness of the entire team, the ball movement. I think they scored like three or four baskets where the ball touched everyone's hand at least. Yeah. And then Kyrie just goes red hot. Kyrie closer, fourth quarter, twenty uh, 21 points. Just just absolutely unbelievable Really impressive performance from from the Brooklyn Nets, but obviously disappointed for the Knicks.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's not fair to necessarily even talk about it from a Knicks perspective because I, I think obviously there there are games where you're gonna you're gonna have takeaways from it. You're gonna see things that you know need to be fixed. Um, and I, I think there were some things on the defensive end for the Knicks, but I think this is mostly a game about the Nets. I mean, the Nets just played a a perfect game. You 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 watch this start to finish, the ball movement, 31 assists to the Knicks 19. Um, the way that they knew where the weak, weak spots were for the Knicks, they attacked those spots, knew the defense was going to cave, and immediately kicked it out to a shooter. They had a great game plan from the beginning. And you know, for, for a team of shooters, they move the ball incredibly well. And I, I think that's, that's, again, a testament to the coaching, a testament to what they're doing. And – Testament to Kyrie Irving. I mean, he had an amazing game. It was 21 point, uh, 21 points in the fourth quarter. Um, but it wasn't a game that he took over. It wasn't a Kyrie Irving versus the Knicks. It was, you know, Kyrie Irving let other playmakers do their job. He he let the flow of the offense work out. And that's that's something again, like we talked about the Nets and how they've really turned things around in terms of chemistry, in terms of defense, and in terms of offense the way that things just look organic right now and the way that um the team is working together and flowing it's it's really impressive I mean he didn't he didn't have to force the issue this team uh, put together an amazing performance organically on their own
0: yeah yeah for sure and uh, the, the, the the most impressive part was the, the first half uh, Royce O'Neill played some pretty uh, some fairly decent uh, lockdown defense on Julius Randle yeah. who's the hot guy for uh for the Knicks and they continuously were going ISO for, for Randall inside and Russell came out on top of that battle. He also went three of five from three in that first half. They were able to match the Knicks on the board, which obviously is extremely disappointing for the Knicks because they had the the size overall. They should have been dominating the boards, but the Nets impressively re- were able to match them, especially in the first half. They hit their 11 threes and then they had 30 points off the bench. Like, that's, that's really impressive. Without having any guys coming off the bench that you would think, oh, he's a legit, like, smart club uh, elite scorer coming off the bench. But they still had 30 points, and that was the big difference in the first half. The Knicks obviously got to their – played more to their strengths in the second half. They, they really started to dominate in the paint. That's where they got pretty much all their points. I think they finished – it was like <laughs> they were plus 30 in uh, – in scoring in the paint, but the Nets were plus 30 in scoring from three. So <laughs> in the second half, especially it kind of went, are right, we'll score two and then you'll score three. So we'll see how it works out at the end. And ultimately it was uh, it worked out in the Nets' favor the three point three points beats two in case you didn't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean the simple math just like it's it's hard for teams like the Knicks when you're not an elite defense. And I, I think that's what we can talk about for the Nets is is the Nets just completely collapsed them all game long. The the help defense felt way too aggressive. And I don't know if this is if this is a scheme problem. I don't know if, if that's if that's what Tibbs wanted to do. I mean Tibbs looks incredibly to be fair, he looks incredibly frustrated when anyone scores. I mean, it could be like Steph Curry hitting a triple team three-pointer, he'd still be pissed mm-hmm. that he got it in. But I, I think that having so many young guys out there, I mean, they're given a lot of a lot of burn to to jericho sims given a lot of burn to to grimes played 37 minutes which is good like we're happy that happened um seeing mcbride get some minutes too um and the minutes that they're out there together grimes and, and mcbride um it just felt like they were they were getting cooked mm-hmm. and I, I think in general too like that their communication on defense regardless of of who was out there in general was not great that there are a lot of a lot of heads turning on rotations a lot a lot of over helping and then turning around not knowing where where the help for the help was going like there wasn't a second rotation and that's how they got 22 of 43s like for for a first half for the next to go seven to 14 from three like good that's pretty good but then you look over and man you let the nets hit what is it 11 11 21 in one half like that you're just not going to survive that. And that I think that was the that's like the theme of the year where the Knicks can't play consistent defense, especially from their perimeter. And that's something that like you've we've always wanted to hang their hat on that because it's a Tibbs team, but they just haven't done it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's only like obviously that first year, at Tibbs when they they made the return to playoffs and Julius Rondo was most approved player, their defense was their big thing that year. The two years since it's it's slowly gone down. I think they're right in the middle of the pack at the moment. But last night was it was just really poor that they there was no real period in the entire game where they were stopping the three. Yeah, the Nets missed a couple of threes, but they were still getting their looks, no problem at all. It's tough when they've got really good shooters. You've got Kyrie Irving, you've got Seth Curry, you've got Joe Harris. What? is uh, gonna make make a shot. Russell Neal's gonna make some shots. But you gotta do you gotta do more. That's just the the main thing. You look at that that mixed performance, you say, you have got to do more. Grimes, it's good to see him getting minutes, it's good to see Tibbs showing a bit of faith in some of the younger guys. But at the same time, he is still such a raw talent. He's still very very anxious when he gets on the ball in, in the on the offensive end. He still struggles a bit with the communication and just making the right rotations and that on, on the defensive end. Sims I like I I like his his athleticism. I like his ability to move his feet mm-hmm. on both ends of the floor. But he's gonna have to be, become a more elite rebounder if he's gonna become a, a serious rotation player just in for his entire career in the NBA. He's solid on, on the offensive boards, but he's still not the guy you have enough faith in to grab to grab boards, uh, to grab boards for your team as your as your lead center. And there yeah. was a few times last night where he just kind of got slightly bumped and missed rebounds that he really should have really been taken. I I think that could come because he's very, very athletic. He's very, very big. He's only going to get stronger. So I think that will come. But those are kind of the weaknesses you see. And then on the offensive end, Brunson struggled in the first half. He, he obviously got the, he was better in, in the second, but I like what it's saw him. But then when you look at, Randall and Barrett. What Barrett did off ball last night on the offensive end, I thought was good. Mm-hmm. And then to start the third, he obviously made a few uh good good uh, plays inside. He got a he got a mismatch and he took advantage. But both Barrett and Randall, their passing still isn't good enough to be guys that have the ball in their hands so much on the offensive end. They they they've they both turned it over really poorly in situations where you'd expect. The lead guy on on a on a competitive team that are have a winning record to be able to make.
1: Yeah. And it it's funny because this is like one of those like um stats versus reality things, cause you look at the box score and you think, all right, eight assists from Randall, that's pretty damn good. Only three turnovers, pretty damn so in, in totality, it's not bad. And plus you look at the usage and you're giving the ball a little bit more to Randall this game than are giving the little ball a little bit more to Barrett than Randall. So we are going to blame for having a, a poor offense. But I think a lot of it had to do with how they're starting their sets. And a lot of the sets that they're starting out with just having Randall just try and taking an advantage of a, a mismatch, which wasn't a mismatch. I mean, he was defended by Royce O'Neal, who I guess we know now is able to just uh, neutralize him. Because going 7 of 16 uh, on a night where, I Don't know what he was got what he was uh scoring against Royce, but it was not he was not shooting well against him. So, in a lot of their their sets, are starting out with Randall just pounding the ball for 10 seconds, trying to get an advantage in the paint, and then from there, like you're working with 14 seconds a clock with other uh, not able to do much off the ball or off the dribble as well. But I think that. I don't know how do you how do you solve this with the current um, with the current roster. I mean, if if you had to change how the playmaking was was flowing through, who how who was gonna maybe take the the ball more? Do you give it more to, to Brunson? Does he run the show more? Do you give the ball to, to quickly more? I mean, he's not a better passer. An obvious answer here off the bench. I don't know why they don't run more plays with Hartenstein in the high post and running DHOs off. Like you have a natural playmaker there. So why, why don't you use that?
0: Yeah, that that he actually had it. he had a few nice plays when they actually gave him minutes last night. So yeah, yeah, it's when it works. I don't know why you wouldn't you wouldn't go for it. I think you you paid Brunson the money. Obviously, people like to think of him as like a non traditional point guard, but you got to put the pressure on him to become more of a traditional point guard and be a guy who who makes plays for others just as much as he gets to his own spots and gets and gets his own shots. That's why we paid him the money. That's why we brought him in to be that that legit playmaker, the guy that you can rely on to make plays for, for your teammates. And it's not always got to be Julius Randle. Julius Randle's not, doesn't have to be the point forward as much anymore. He can just do his, do his own thing. Don't get me wrong. The ball's still going to be in his hands a lot. Tibbs is still going to expect the most out of him, but I think Brunson's the guy you got to put the pressure on to, to have the ball in his hands more and make plays for others.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that. Um, but moving on to the, the last game here. Uh, the Lakers and Celtics, which is always a classic, no matter who's in what jersey, even when it was like the uh the Nick Young Lakers squad, it always feels like a, a big matchup Lakers, Celtics. So much history there. Uh, and I think I thought it was a great game to cap off the rivalry weekend. Was it just one night? Like, first of all, I, I gotta say, this has been the worst advertising. Of, like, an NBA event ever because everyone's like, Oh, rivalry week, I guess that's the thing now. Like, that mm-hmm. I I didn't even know that was gonna be a thing until like yesterday, and they're putting it on uh, ESPN. But, um, a great matchup here. What did you, <laughs> before we get to the ending of the game? Um, I, I thought that overall, the Lakers played a good game against who we viewed as, if not the best team, second, third, maybe. One A, one B. They still feel like the best team in the league to me. You could make a good argument for the Nuggets or another team, but I think the Boston Celtics still hold that title, and they went toe to toe with them all night long.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, screw it, let's get right into the last play. They, they, they <laughs> should, they should have. Oh man! Won the game. That was a oh, clear fail. I'm gonna. I, 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 genuinely believe the Celtics would have got that call. I, I think. I think, think they so? would have got it. I think I think hundred percent that they would have got it. I know it's LeBron James, and you always think he gets all his calls because he's he's earned that right or whatever. But I genuinely believe the Celtics get that call. It, it was a terrible miss, and you gotta believe that uh, that uh, LeBron is at least gonna be able to go one or two at the line and uh, and win the game for the Lakers. And that it it could it could uh it could prove a, a difference maker for the Lakers in the in uh, oh yeah in their season. Any loss is big for them now. They have to. When they have the opportunities to win like that, they need to be able to take them, and they've uh, that could come back to haunt them when they're when they're going uh, when they're going there to try and move up the Western Conference. So it's a big blow. The the refs have they made some mistakes of late. Obviously, we're we're all only human. Everyone makes mistakes, but that fail that felt like a really really bad one. It was a very obvious slap on the wrist.
1: Yeah, this is this is gonna go down a a tangent that I won't go too far in, but I still don't understand in twenty twenty three that we have refs affecting games
0: mm-hmm.
1: like what I know it's part of the culture it's part of the part of the game like you have refs whatever like that that's part of what the game has always been you have the same thing in uh in football even though football is a lot more I think a lot more regulated now even though there was still some pretty some pretty bad misses uh I think Pats fans will agree there's a few games that you should probably should have won this season but I, why don't we just have like automated calls like that would be so easy like the the additional money even if it was like a million dollars a game like to, to preserve the product like there is no reason why an obvious call with so many angles to call it it could not have been like adjudicated by some remote group or have like ai or some, dude i don't know like have i'm sure i'm sure some ai company would love to be sponsored by the M- nba and like test out giving calls even if you imagine if you did this like just for a year you had some company like who could develop like a system that would get every call like 99.99 percent of calls correct and let them like just do it in the background or something for a season and then compare the results every game because they do these l2m and the l2m i feel like it's every other game where the l2m comes out and it's a, a bad call missed it's not like it randomly happens every once in a while like this game like Totally lost the game. I know for the fact the Bulls have lost three games off of L two M calls. So, how many games lost per year? And then you compare that. Maybe you have another way to do it, but it, it's crazy to me that with all the technology we have, like we haven't come up with a different way to at least support the refs, if not completely replace them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right there, and I think I'd be worried if the NBA aren't at least uh, considering considering something along those lines. But let's get back. we'll get back to the game now. That. <laughs> Sorry. They got to the they obviously ended up going to OT. It was a great matchup throughout. I think the key came, obviously Brown in, in OT goes off for eleven points. He just he got he got red hot. He 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 mm-hmm. took control for for the Celtics. But I think the kind of key moment in the game, I think it was that Celtics were or the, the Lakers were up seven. In the third and LeBron went out and that was when they made the first comeback The Celtics. I know they actually made a similar sort of comeback when LeBron was back in, but that kind of felt like the big moment. That if the Lakers had been able to hold on to the lead at that moment and still had a lead when LeBron came back in, I think they would have been able to, to be comfortable enough to be able to go on and win the game. It was the fact that they weren't able to hold on to that. That little lead in those, those few minutes that LeBron was off the floor was a was a was a big game changer in this one.
1: Yeah, it was uh it was something that that we've seen all year long is the Lakers not doing the job without LeBron. And Davis had a quiet night. Yeah. He's still coming back from injury. Um, you didn't see him really dominate in the paint. I mean, you got Al Horford there. I mean, he's still a presence, but it's it tough to see Davis have a quiet night. They needed him, and I think uh, this is something to monitor. And we mentioned this briefly about the Rui trade. I think that you're going to see this much more often if you're closing lineups with Rui Hachimura on the floor with AD and LeBron, and you face a team like the Celtics with a dynamic wing, two dynamic wings, and Tatum and Brown. Like he's going to get cooked. Like he just doesn't have the foot speed. He doesn't have the natural position ability to defend wings like that. Mm-hmm. And you saw Brown just turn him. And every time that they uh they got that matchup, they liked that. Um, So I, I don't know if that's something to watch, if that defensively is not something that's really tenable for them, for them to keep him in a, a closing lineup alongside uh, James and alongside Davis. But obviously the whole game didn't come down to that uh, as a whole. I mean, it came down to the wire. It came down to that last play. LeBron James played 44 minutes tonight, though. Last night, um, that's just that's just not sustainable. That's not sustainable. I mean, I I, <laughs> I I can't imagine like he can just keep keep doing this. It's insane.
0: Yeah, but you see, there again, we mentioned it. If we see why they they need, they need him on the floor when he goes down, you instantly think, "Oh God, are they, what's going to happen to them now?" That's that's uh, sadly the way that it is. Hopefully, it changes a bit now that that AD is back, and when AD gets back to a hundred percent, and hopefully, he finally can stay that way for for the rest of the season. Then maybe maybe LeBron can play some slightly slightly less minutes. I don't think we're going to see too uh, too big of a drop off for him, but. In terms of Hachimura, I think, yeah, the defense is a problem. But I, I like the early the early signs on the offensive end. I think he made a few nice cuts. He had a few nice passes. The chemistry there's a, there's a bit of chemistry there early on, which is which is good to see and you hope that can uh that can grow from here. But I really think the the Boston's scoring variety, the different players that were able to step up and make shots, the the way they were able to go from three pointers to two pointers to mid rangers to dunks to everything, I think that was something the Lakers couldn't uh couldn't really keep up with and that was something that that helped the the Celtics get back to winning ways and they were they were on the the back of three straight defeats. That was very uh mm-hmm. very surreal for them this year and and they 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 really needed this one and they 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 fought hard and they came out on the right side of it and that's what the best teams do.
1: Yeah that being able to have production from Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White when you don't have Marcus Smart still being able to, to keep that defensive edge and the playmaking you get from those guys. It's huge. Absolutely huge. And, um, and the shooting, I mean, tonight they didn't have a great shooting night. Jason Tate himself went eight of 25 as a team. They went 13 of 40, which usually on, on a night when the Lakers are shooting 12 of 42, you're expecting them to lose because of the uh, three point deficit. But I think it, this came down to, this came down to variety. The Celtics had more answers. Um, they could put the ball on Malcolm Brogdon's hands. He could do something with it. They could put the ball on Brown's, uh, they say Malcolm Brown, Malcolm Brogdon's (laughs) hands, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. You can rely on Al Horford to pick and pop. You can expect Derek White to do something. There's, there's something everyone offered here. And, you know, I thought that Russ might sip up tonight. Russ has had some really awesome games off the bench this season. This would have been a, a game for him to do it, but, um, he had a tough shooting night and to be fair to Le- LeBron, I mean, dude, Dennis Schroeder goes 0 for 5 from 3. Troy Brown Jr., that's your only job. Go 0 for 5 from 3. Shooting open three-pointers. I, I mean, shooting open three-pointers in the corner, nonetheless. 0 for 4 from Rui. 1 for 3 from Lonnie. Just a tough shooting night for the Lakers. And I think if they if they could just hit their shots, if they just had some actual shooters, I mean, this is a game that they win. And I think this, this is really... Significant. I mean, you look at any box score playing against the biggest teams where LeBron James is scoring like crazy. All it takes is just some guys hitting a modest amount of shots, just being a okay shooter. And they just don't have that. They don't have that. And they need to make a trade. They need to make a trade three months ago, five months ago. They need to make a trade last year. It needs to happen now. And these are games that that should be won. And this should be part of LeBron James's uh, farewell tour. As he goes on to make another championship, but instead we're lamenting the fact that he's playing 44 minutes and still losing games.
0: Yeah, I mean they, they don't even—it doesn't have to be that big splash. They, they get, get him a, a, like a JR Smith, uh, KCP type. Oh God! Guy. But why did
1: we have to say JR Roden? <laughs> we are—we already that's... know the first memory everyone thinks of when you think JR and LeBron. It's the like, last guy he wants to see.
0: That's that's what you got that's what, what's what the type of guys that he can he can thrive alongside guys who can play good defense and can hit their trees that that's that's what the, that's what they that's all they need They're, there's guys out there that they can make moves for if they want be they want to be the Lakers they just go go out and do it this is what the Lakers do they go all in to win that's why we love the Lakers that's why they've won they've had so much success because they are always in it to win it all and they've got to do that again. Well, f- f- final point of this out. I wanted to say like LeBron James is only 117 points now off passing cream. I feel like it's so muted. I feel like no one really mm-hmm.
1: cares because he's losing. That's what sucks. That's what sucks about this. Ah, uh, it's just We should like, be celebrating that.
0: We should like when when Steph Curry was about to break the three-point record, everyone was going nuts, everyone people were crying and celebrating before it even happened. And LeBron James is about to pass up Kareem. I'm hearing people that are like, uh, it's not going to be as impressive for LeBron to do it because he had the three-point shot. But why is it not more impressive? Because LeBron is a pass-first sort of player and apparently a terrible shooter. So why is it not more more impressive then? What LeBron James is doing, the fact that he's going to pass up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is absolutely unbelievable. And... I know we've kind of become muted to how good LeBron James is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like the the only reason that he he put, even if the Lakers were winning this year, he still wouldn't be in the MVP conversation. Despite the fact that he's averaging what like thirty thirty nine and six or something ridiculous like that. Thirty eight years old, absolutely outrageous. It, that's one thing you hate. You hate when you see guys just become. We're too used to how good they are, and you you almost yeah. go on like they're. They're doing nothing, but what he's doing is unbelievable. And the fact that he is probably five, six games away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points in NBA history is unbelievable. And it needs to be, needs to be celebrated even more.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll celebrate it here, even though it's, it's hard to, with, with them losing. That's all we can talk about. Um, even more reason to make a trade, even more reason to make a trade. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's mine. I, I will end my, my Lakers rant here with, with that. It means that simple. You said it best. They don't need a splash trade. Give up a pick for Doug McDermott and Josh Richardson. Some people have been talking about it in Lakers circles. I love that idea. It's been a rumor. You get a shooter, you get a two-way player, you get some, you get people who are able to actually take shots. Richardson's making upwards of 40%. McDermott, they're both forty percent three-point shooters. You just need something like that. These games are winnable games. With shooters on the floor next to LeBron James,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. Come on, come on, Lakers, make it happen. Even if it doesn't work, you owe it to yourselves, and you certainly owe it to uh to LeBron James to to give it to give it one last try. But I think that's gonna do it for for this episode. It was fun to talk talk more ball with you, Chris. Uh, I am running game. My thanks to Christian Nambu for joining me. Thank you all so much for listening, and remember. You like what you're hearing, like, subscribe, comment, listen wherever you get your podcasts, watch on YouTube. Follow us on social media. We're everywhere at Coast to Coast NBA. And until next time, remember, take every shot and love every moment.